When I talk to property investors, they often tell me using debt is a key advantage over other asset classes. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder Funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses, so read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Welcome to the Australian Finance Podcast. I'm Kate Campbell. And I'm Owen Rask. And we're here to give you the tools and knowledge to invest both your time and money better. If you're new, feel free to jump in with our Starter Pack series that aired in early 2022 or our Shares or ETF mini series. We've got plenty to share with you in today's episode, but if you want to catch us on socials, head to Rask Australia on Insta and Twitter. I'm also found at Kate Campbell AUS on Insta. And I'm Owen Rask AU on Insta. Just beware of the fake accounts. We'll never DM you about trading strategies or crypto. And if it sounds a bit weird, it's probably not us. And just one final heads up before we get into the show. This podcast contains general financial information only. Kanish, welcome back to the Australian Finance Podcast. Owen, thank you for having me back. This is good fun. We always get to catch up and talk shop, so I'm stoked that we can do it again. In Kate's absence, uh, she'll just have to listen back on replay. But, mate, today we're going to be talking about investing in US companies. We're going to be talking about ETFs in general. Obviously, GlobalX is a long-term sponsor of the Australian Finance Podcast. When we first started, um, you were there on day one talking to us and supporting the the show, so I really appreciate that. but you've told me previously, I can't remember where you told me this. I don't think it was here on the Australian Finance Podcast. You told me that your best ever investment, I think that's how I framed it, your best ever investment was gold. Uh, can, is that still the case? Can you reveal? It, it is still the case. Um, well, I, I think I've got a few best uh, investments mm-hmm. in terms of what, no, not best, but I think a few investments that I keep as my staple or as my core in my portfolio, but gold is one of my best investments. And I say this because it's not the ETF, or it's not the exposure, sorry, that has returned me the most money. It's mm-hmm. not had the best returns relative to say, you know, I've had investments in say ETFs like FANG and things like that, but it's been the ETF that has just consistently provided what it was supposed to do. It did what it said it on the tin, which mm-hmm. was it was portfolio insurance. So when equity markets were volatile, it provided some defense. When interest rates were rising, it provided that defense. When inflation, it's a hedge. So mm-hmm. it's actually been a really good ballast in my portfolio. When I look back at my um, my portfolio for 2022, I'm glad I had gold in there 
um, mm. purely for that defensive alternative. So it's boring, but I actually don't mind that. That's the that's one of my favorite and best investments. Yeah, great. I like it. Uh, you're the only one that's ever said that, I think. So um, kudos oh, I'm, to yeah, you. I'm, I'm the outlier. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and GlobalX obviously being the biggest uh, provider of their gold ETF in yep. the country. So um, makes sense. Uh, my second kind of icebreaker question for you was ETFs are around about $150 billion overall. So there's $150 billion invested into just Australian ASX-listed ETFs. I just got that from the latest monthly report. I think it was for the end of July 2023. They're bigger than licks, like we've taken over listed investment companies, bigger than REITs, the real estate investment trusts, bigger than just about any of those other types of things that you could invest in that aren't shares. Can ETFs get bigger than this? Well, they're not as big as managed funds. So mm -hmm. they're not as big as shares, but they're not as big as managed funds, which is your more traditional investment structure. And so for a lot of investors on this podcast, they may never have invested in a managed fund or they may not have realized if you've used a financial planner, you then most likely would have had an investment in a managed fund. For a lot of self-directed retail investors to invest in a managed fund, the hurdles are very high because to access that, you normally have to go through what's called a wrap platform, which again is only for financial planners, so you wouldn't be able to go through there. Mm. So you have to go directly to the fund manager and normally the minimums to invest are five, 10, 20, $25,000 for the initial investment. So it becomes really hard for a retail self-directed investor to invest in a managed fund. That's actually still the largest investment product outside of shares. So you've got shares, managed funds, and then I would say ETFs. And I'd, you know, so there is a lot of room for ETF market to grow because I think we are catching up slowly, um, but surely on that managed fund industry. Mm. I, um, I, I think people need to, understand this here that like managed funds are very similar to ETFs. It's really just the, the way you get into yes. the investment that's so different. And the ETFs have democratized, like you said, normally $25,000 minimum for one of those um, or $20,000. When you can just do 500 or 2,000 or 5,000, yep. you can dollar cost average into ETFs. So an amazing thing. And um, just really opening up what everyone on this podcast can now do with their money. So the third icebreaker I've got for you is something that we've been asked so much on the road recently, which is like how to invest for kids has basically been their, their question. But my question for you is if you were buying an investment for your children just or making an investment, you don't have to say how you'd do that, but maybe what are the types of things that you would look to invest in? Um, it depends on the age of my kids. So Good my kids are six and four. Now, I'm probably going to be making some investments on their behalf. Um, I might use a sort of a robo-advisor, for example, to, to do something like that, to make it nice and simple. Um, or I might build a very basic ETF portfolio because I don't want to sit there and monitor shares or anything like that. So I may have some core building blocks, whether it be, you know, targeting, you know, the top US companies or an emerging market, having some defensive alternative, a broad fixed income, et cetera, some, some basic, but obviously tilting towards uh, a bit of a higher risk profile for me anyway, that's personally. So again, any information I provide today, <laughs> it's general, it's, this is specific to my personal circumstances. Um, but if my kids were older and I, I think about, I've got a niece, she's 13 years old. She's now at her age where she understands, you know, she's going to, to Starbucks or she's buying, you know, 
Adidas or whatever it may be, mm -hmm. I may talk to her. She wants to look at, you know, she's very environmentally conscious or socially conscious. So I might talk to her and say, okay, if my kids are at that age, how do you, what are you interested in? And maybe having some tilts within the portfolio towards things that they're interested in, because if you've got something that they're interested in, companies that they're buying and using every day, then they're more likely to take an interest in their investment portfolio. And mm -hmm. then they start to learn. So that's one way as well, I think, for some, you know, for, as for me as a parent, I might start to do that. But right now, as a four and a six-year-old, I can't, you know, my son just wants to buy Lego. Um, <laughs> so that, that's one stock. And I'll probably, probably stay clear of that. So this is such a good answer, man. I really do appreciate this. this is like uh, investing for them at the level that they're at. Yes. Um, because that's what you're really trying to get across to them is the education of investing. So get them into buy in and involved in the concept rather than just make it happen for them. That's so important. So great, great um, point there. So a lot of this conversation from here on out is going to tilt towards the core of people's portfolios and how yeah. to use ETFs to do that. Um, and there are specific ETFs, which we're going to mention in a minute. So be sure to read the product disclosure statement available on the Global X website. There'll be a link in the show notes. Um, but one thing that I've seen, and you mentioned like financial advisors before, I've seen this with financial advisors. It's taken longer, but it's happening. And I've seen this thing happen with individual investors. So many of our community do this. And the, the thing that they do, Kanish, is they just go all ETFs. They just use ETFs for all of their portfolio. Um, and I'm curious, um, obviously, as you said, everyone's circumstances are different. But how do you think about that? Like, how do you think about people deciding to do that, whether they're financial advisors or individual investors? Um, I think it's... You know, how they build a portfolio, it, it's interesting because I think it comes down to where they are in that risk profile. For a financial planner, they've got certain metrics and rules around what they do to build portfolios. Um, I think in terms of a key part here is what forms a core of a portfolio. If I look at an Australian investor's portfolio, traditionally, it is 98% home buyers to Australian equities. Um, yeah. And then there's maybe a very small allocation outside, but it probably is Australian shares and then all property. Let's, yep, let's, let, yeah, from their investment portfolio. The key part here is ETFs are now, to your point, when you talked about it earlier, it's a new vehicle to democratize investing, to provide different exposures and different asset classes. The ability for that in that same investor to now go, I don't need to just have Australian shares as my core. I can have US shares. I can have European, I can have emerging markets potentially as these building blocks, and then I can have some satellite exposure. So you've got this core satellite approach. That's really important to understand. Now, what does that mean? Traditionally, a core is has been a market tracker or something that is much more longer term investment horizon. It is your building block. It takes up a majority of your portfolio. Your satellite is where you can provide some extra tilt or to try and you know, potentially look for additional growth or to try to go and mm. um, essentially illustrate or to get exposure to a theme or an area that you want to have within your portfolio. So an example there is um, you, we take a, you know, a US equity ETF um, and, you know, at GlobalX, we, you know, just launched a, a US 100 ETF. 
and the, the ticker for that is N100. So that's, you know, the tracks mm. and index. Um, it's the Global XUS 100 index, which provides exposure to your top 100 companies listed on the NASDAQ exchange, excluding financials and REITs. So these are, you know, very innovative, mega market cap, your modern day infrastructure stocks, you know, your fangs, et cetera. So that's a core. But then your satellite is something like a thematic, like electric vehicles, or it could be a satellite like emerging market like India, um, or mm. that's where that satellite. So I think it's important when you're thinking about building a portfolio, you have to have that core satellite approach. I would just you know, put this disclaimer out here, don't just look at equities. Um, at the one of your icebreaker questions, what's my favorite ETF still or my, the best returning ETF? And that's been gold. I say that because that's an alternative asset. It's not an equity. It's not a fixed income ETF. It's a commodity ETF, a precious metal commodity ETF. It literally gathers dust, doesn't pay any income, but it's doing its job as that alternative. So, you know, we talk mm. about that, that diversification across equity markets, but it's also diversification across asset classes as well. Mm. So you can have Aussie shares, US shares or global shares, emerging markets, but then ETFs have also democratized this, which is then you can have bonds and fixed income. Yes. And you can have gold or a commodity, uh, as you said, all in one place, which yes, is very easy to access. And like you said, and I'm, I'm actually grateful that you did say, well, um, it's a good thing that, you know, you can you can do all this because some people may just end up with just 100% in equities or shares. Um and that's all they think about, which maybe for some people that's right, but I'd say for the majority of people, that's not necessarily the best course of action. We don't know for sure, but that's what I would say. Um, so you did mention an ETF there. The newest ETF at the time of recording from Global X is the N100 ETF. That's the ticker symbol. It's the US100 uh, ETF. Now, this is it seems very simple, like the top 100 US shares on the NASDAQ exchange, excluding financials and what was the other one? And REITs, so real estate investment trusts, yes. Okay, so you'd end up with, I guess, like a lot of the names that people will know, maybe which we can go through in a second. But people will probably be thinking, like they've listened to the podcast, they're familiar with the Global X brand for a long time. Um, you know, Global X has been known for gold, it's been known for thematics, been yep. income. Why did you decide to launch an ETF that, to me, looks and acts and seems like a straight in the middle core ETF? Like it's something that is built for that why did why did you go down that path so what we're i think for those that aren't aware and you know for global x has been a relatively new entrant into the australian etf market as a brand uh we acquired a business called etf securities in 2022 but global x globally um around the world has a very established etf play-up so we manage over 40 billion us dollars across nearly 100 different types of ETFs and across the world from the UK, Latin America, Colombia, Brazil, Hong Kong, Japan, US, et cetera. And, you know, what is at the core of a lot of our decisions is research and being innovative and beyond ordinary. So what does that mean? You know, we can say these taglines, oh, we're going to be beyond ordinary. What do we actually mean by that? <laughs> um, so one, if we're launching a product or an ETF or an exposure on a particular income solution, a commodity solution or a thematic, it has to be best of breed. So we're using that research functionality. We've got over 40 people in research. Now, we have launched a core building block though here. But why have we done that? Because here in Australia, we want to provide 
again, points of difference for investors. And what we found when we looked at the Australian ETF market, either there were products that were offering like exposures to those you know, top 100 companies listed on the NASDAQ, but at a much higher fee than that what they should be. So we really wanted to come out and we've got the scale now. You know, GlobalX is owned by Mire, um, which is a South Korean fund manager. And just off the back of that acquisition, we can offer and we can create and leverage some of those synergies and their scale to come out with lower cost solutions. Mm. So it's not always going to be the lowest cost, some of our ETFs, because, you know, some of our ETFs are quite unique in terms of how they're built and what they're offering. Um, because they use purity revenue screens and things like that, you know, when we're targeting specific thematics. Um, you know, we've got cryptocurrencies and things like that. But what we're trying to offer here with N100 was a low-cost solution for really investors being able to access just those top 100 companies listed in the United States on the NASDAQ exchange. Mm. It's, um, it is pretty low-cost, if I'm not mistaken. The fee, the management expense ratio, or MER as it's known in the industry, yes. Uh, is about 0.24%. So it's actually really low. Um, I'd, we were just talk, talking off air about some of the companies and I was a bit surprised about some of the companies that are actually inside this ETF and it's yep. all available. Anyone listening to this, watching this on YouTube, whatever, it's all available on the GlobalX website, obviously ETF provider, so full disclosure there. I was surprised about some of the names because I was like, oh yeah, we could talk about like Microsoft, or we could talk about Apple, yep. we could talk about Amazon. Like, all of these names that people know and probably the products they use every single day of their lives, but there's so much more outside of those top five or 10 that people should be aware of. Yeah, again, so if we think about what this ETF's doing, so let's break this down. The ETF, it's tracking an index, so that's an equity benchmark. That equity benchmark is that Global X US 100 index. Mm -hmm. Now that index gives you exposure to those top 100 companies by market cap or size, so company size listed on the NASDAQ exchange, and it excludes the financial companies and real estate investments trusts or REITs. Now, when you end up looking at that, you look at the top 10, for example, and we actually saw the top 10 has a lot of those fang names. So Alphabet, Amazon, Facebook, Tesla, Microsoft, Apple, NVIDIA, which has sort of rocketed up the charts. But it's also got companies in the top 10 like PepsiCo. Now, Mm. PepsiCo is doing more than just Pepsi. Um, You know, I'm a Coke person. I love my I love my Coca-Cola. I'm not a Pepsi person. You're either one or the other. Um, but what I would say here is Pepsi's more than just a soft drink company. They do water, they do sports drinks, they do um, energy mm. drinks, they do a lot more. So they're really entering into a much bigger space. And then you go into the top 20 and Costco. And I think that was one of those companies where you and I was yeah. that off air. It was like, okay, well, that is very big in the US, very big in, in, in Europe, obviously growing in Australia, um, and especially with inflation rising and people concerned of cost of living, you know, companies like Costco are really benefiting from that low cost supermarket or, you know, good store. But then you go beyond that, you've got companies, an Australian company in there, Atlassian, um, which as we all know, it's listed on the NASDAQ exchange and even Starbucks as well. So, mm-hmm. It's more than just, I think it's really important. The the index at N100 tracks, it's predominantly around 48 to 49% technology. We assume a company like Amazon or a company like Facebook or Meta or Alphabet or Google is a tech stock. Neither of those three stocks, by the way, are tech. They are either consumer discretionary or media and communication. So what do I mean by that? 
Amazon generates most of its revenue from, uh, you know, its shopping platform. AWS, its cloud-based solution is obviously rocketing in terms of its growth and it's going to become mm -hmm. potentially a larger allocation in the, uh, from, a, from a revenue perspective, if it gets to that point beyond 50%, then maybe Amazon becomes a tech sector right. company. But right now it's not. It's consumer discretionary. Uh, you look at Alphabet or Facebook or Meta, that, those two companies are media and communications. And that was a new sector. So we often have to think about this. That used to be technology. But when you have sectors that are constantly innovating, and especially more recent years, innovating at the pace in which they are, these sectors get updated. And they are defined by the company's revenue base. So where is the majority of its revenue coming from in which particular area? And that's where that company generally sits from a sector perspective. And so when you're having new definitions being applied, and media and communications was that new sector that was defined about three, four years ago, because they started to realize that what is a telco company anymore? A telco yeah. in a traditional sense was you're you know, putting down power, power lines and things like that and the wiring. But actually, a communications company is more than that. It's mobile phones or it's social media. And where they're gener generating revenue, it's ads. It's yeah, advertising. Advertising, social media advertising. So that's how they created this media and communications sector to try and encompass all of those. And then your tech became software, hardware, and semiconductors. Very specific. So within technology companies, you've got Microsoft, which is a software company slash mainly software, um, Apple, mainly hardware, um, NVIDIA, semiconductors. And as I said, so if Amazon's cloud-based solution picks up, it potentially could be a tech company, yeah, right. but it's not. So I often refer to these, you know, the, N, the stocks in N100, they're not technology. It could be big tech. I think that's sometimes been a word used because it's beyond technology or they're modern day infrastructure stocks. These are innovators. Um, mm. And these are really what's driving, when you actually look at, you know, the US market, this is what's really driving, you know, the, the growth in the US market. It's, it's these types of companies, especially mm. this year. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mm. Yeah, over the last 12 months, it's been incredible. Um, I like to think of them as kind of like the railways of the 21st century because they're kind of like everything, especially when you think about like those big tech providers and the communications businesses you just mentioned. Basically, everything is built on top of them, right? Like they've yes. developed the railways and we just ride the carriages on top. Yep. Um, some other companies, like an example of a carriage riding on top of this now would be Adobe, which creates the software that's in the M100 yeah. ETF. Yes. Um, and Netflix, they all ride on top of the internet rails that are basically formed by these other companies. Yeah, so like, think of it like this. So you've got a Netflix. It's using cloud probably from Amazon or Microsoft or Google. You've got then the using chips. So then they're having mm. to leverage off an Apple phone, and the Apple phone is using chips that NVIDIA makes or Intel makes or AMD makes. Mm. Um, and then you've got VeriSign which is probably if you need to sign that contract for whatever reason, you know, so all of a sudden all these companies are working together 
And a key part here is they're not just US-focused companies. These companies are listed in the US. They're listed on the NASDAQ exchange. But these companies themselves are generating revenues from beyond just the US. And so when you have, say, the a weaker US dollar, well, that may not be as a material impact or negative for some of these companies as mm. well. Mm. That's a good point. Um, I do like I do need to go back to Costco, and when I go and purchase my um, hot dog at the end of my shopping spree, probably spending too much, just wash it down with a hot dog. Yeah, and I'm buying Costco hot dogs right here in Australia, but it's on the Nasdaq. So exactly, maybe yeah. not the perfect illustration, <laughs> but an illustration of how it all comes together. Um, so over on our Australian Investors podcast. Um, one of, it's got to be one of the most popular or at least most talked about ETFs is the GlobalX ETF uh, FANG, yep. um, which now that the acronym is kind of like blurred a bit, but it's still <laughs> a super popular ETF. So FANG would traditionally represent Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. They've all changed names or it's got bigger yep. now. But a lot of people will be looking at that because that's the top 10 US stocks and as, as people know them, like the FANG stocks. And then um, here we've got M100, which is 100 but only from the NASDAQ, people would be thinking, listening to this, they were mindful of things like overlap or what position in the portfolios do they go? How do you think about that? So definitely overlap. Um, the, the, you can't shy away from that. Um, mm -hmm. the, the FANG ETF is made up of, of 10 stocks equally weighted every quarter, um, and it's your FANG M, so Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google, Microsoft, Tesla, NVIDIA, AMD. Um, there's this sort of 10 companies. Um, 10% mm -hmm. each, so very concentrated. So that's a concentrated growth. So depending upon your risk profile and depending upon where you sit, some you know very risk-taking um, uh, investor may allocate to something as a core. But generally what we do see is that particular ETF being used as that satellite is a complement potentially to a broader US um, exposure, whether it be something like N100 or an S&P 500 or something like that because it complements and it adds that additional alpha or additional growth tilt mm. that you're focusing on. Now, when I look at, say, those two particular ETFs to the end of July, say N100's underlying index returned, I think it was around about that 40%, 41% mark, um, whereas, and actually I'll, I'll bring it up here so that I, I don't get it wrong, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so if I'm looking at uh, N100, that returned uh, a year to date 44.1% as at the end of July. Wow. So I wasn't too far off. Yeah. Um, that's good. And then our FANG ETF, um, because obviously that ETF's actually been live for a little while now, um, our FANG ETF there has returned. This is, I'll do the same time period so that you get an indication. Mm. Um, so we've got 44.1% for the index at N100 tracks. And year to date, as at the end of July, this ETF has returned 81.6%. Wow. Now, that is nearly double. Um, so it's just under double. Now, the reason for that is that concentration. But there is, involved in that, there is concentration risk. So you have a broader diversified set of companies within something like N100, which is good. But you have concentration risk when you're looking at FANG, 10 yeah. stocks equally weighted. And obviously, we've seen NVIDIA and Apple and Microsoft off the back of that artificial intelligence boom really do very well. But 
in the same way it is for particular investors and how you allocate it to it. It's either for some of those very high risk investors, it potentially could fit as a core, but I think for a majority of investors, it becomes that satellite to complement a broad core solution to really provide that additional growth. That makes a lot of sense because um, and we've been chatting about this on the roadshow uh, with the, the Global X team, that a lot of people do use uh, FANG as kind of like a concentrated, like put the microscope on those really big, um, yes. like competitively advantaged uh, technology companies, quote unquote technology companies. But something like that they would be missing is obviously things like Costco or Pepsi, which we just exactly. brought into the conversation. Yeah. Um, how about then, because you did mention it briefly, is like the S&P 500 is the thing that a lot of people, along maybe they see the Dow Jones more on the news, but mm. um, they also see the S&P 500, which is, again, one of the most popular overseas investments for Aussie investors. They see, well, the top 500 US companies, it's really, you know, it's 500 seems really diversified, et cetera. How would you juxtapose or compare N100 to the S&P 500 portfolio or companies yep so i think a key part there would be what is you know some of the differences so what we actually see you know we'd say something like the s p 500 the index itself is only say 27 or 28 percent tech related now why is that well we look at it from this perspective the N100 ETF is looking just at companies listed on the NASDAQ exchange via tracking that global XUS100 index. Yep. So it's looking at companies listed on the NASDAQ exchange, which means it's generally the NASDAQ exchange, you know, what do I mean by listed? So, you know, here in Australia, we have the ASX um, and that's been the primary exchange that we have. We've got CBOE, which has started to come together, um, come on the market recently as an alternative exchange, but still it's a sort of moving forward in terms of having companies listed on there. So you only had one. In the US, you've got multiple exchanges. You've got um, CME, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. You've got the New York Stock Exchange. You've got the NASDAQ Exchange, which was sort of founded about 30 to 40 years ago. And it became this hub or this main source for tech companies and companies that really wanted to be very innovative and at that forefront of innovation and technology. So that's why we see this 50% tech sector exposure. Whereas the New York Stock Exchange is a more traditional exchange. So you've got companies like Berkshire Hathaway doesn't exist on the, does not list on the NASDAQ exchange, so won't feature in N100, but it's listed on the New York Stock Exchange. So it's going to be in indexes like the S&P 500 because the S&P 500 index goes beyond just the New York Stock Exchange. It goes to every individual US or some key US exchanges. So I think that's a really important point. The S&P 500 index goes quite a broad view of the total US, mm. whereas ETFs like N100 or its peers looks at just companies listed on the NASDAQ exchange, which means it's tilted towards more innovation, more technology. Um, now, I would argue some of these companies are modern day infrastructure stocks. To your point, they're now sort of the, the railways, um, the railway companies of, of the future. But in how historically that, that has worked is they were more sort mm. of different types of exchanges. So you do have differences. The other key difference there is 100 versus 500. You are yeah. generally going to have a more concentrated, in the same way we see FANG. Your FANGs are ultra concentrated, very growth orientated. NASDAQ 100 or index or the N100 ETF, for example, is very much focused on this broader 
um, innovation set of companies. And then the S&P 500 index, for example, is beyond that. So it's got you know, companies like energy, financials, it's got consumer staples, et cetera. Yeah, you'll get those banks and those types mm. of businesses in there. I remember looking at the list and comparing the N100 versus um, the S&P 500. And one of the big outliers for me was just basically Berkshire Hathaway, but that's only like yep. one of the names. Um, and obviously for folks that don't know, Berkshire Hathaway is the company that Warren Buffett runs. Yes. Um, and so that was probably the one that stood out for me. But other than that, like you get – you, if you believe in like the technology kind of thematic overall in the next 20 or 30 years, people, it's easy to see why people turn to NASDAQ listed companies because they are like the apples of the world um, that are redefining kind of the game for, for the next generation, the current generations. Um, so obviously people can find out more information on the, the Global X website and there'll be a link in the show notes. You can click the link. Uh, it even takes you to a map of the Australian marketplace for ETFs where you can see all ETFs listed uh, there and you can find out all the information. The The table um, on the Global X website has all of the individual holdings if you want to check them out and view performance. Um, and good on you, Kanish, for uh, checking the performance. I did actually check it after you said it <laughs> and I was still blown, equally blown away. I didn't realize the performance was that that. I guess impressive for Fang. I just that took me by surprise. So it goes to show if you do have a concentrated uh, portfolio and you do get that right, what can happen, right? Um, but I've got one final question for you, and this is a really hard one. So I'm going to see how you go with this one. I I, I haven't fully formed right, a good it, answer to, yeah, to it here myself. Here we go. Okay. Okay. Here we go. So the hard question that I have is, what's you've been doing this a long time, right? What's one thing that you believe about finance? It could be investing, it could be business, but what finance, business, investing that few people would agree with you on? Gold. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, no, uh, I think um, that is a tough one. Um, gold could be your answer. That's actually, that yeah, was, seems like I, an yeah. instinctive response. <laughs> Yeah, I, I say I say gold because it's so divisive in Australia. It is um, because we are so attuned to buying mining companies, and therefore, if I talk about a commodity, it has to be a mining stock. And mm. I'm just sometimes, you know, talking, and I'm just not saying with a self-directed retail investor. I'm saying with institutional investors. I'm talking you know, super funds, private banks, you know, sophisticated wealth managers. We are having this discussion day in, day out, day in, day out across my team um, with these types of clients and these types of investors because we're talking to them and saying, you need to understand that gold has a place in that portfolio, but it can be so polarizing. And they're saying, no, 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 it doesn't pay an income. I've got, I've got, I've got Newcrest. I'm good. It's like, no, no, wait, 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 let's take a step back. Newcrest has a place in the portfolio, but your, your gold has a place in that portfolio. Um, so I think I, I'm hoping that as time goes on, and I think it's it's already started to shift, but that doesn't actually become an answer that people disagree with or mm. an opinion that people disagree with, and it's an answer that people actually fundamentally wholly agree with the fact that gold does have a place because we see it overseas, just not necessarily here in Australia. Um, so I'd say actually that, and the, the other one I would say is, um, you know, property <laughs> is, <laughs> is, is not the be all and end all. Um, I'm obviously, you know, I, I, I'm part of, I'm probably maybe slightly biased being part of the investment industry, being part of an ETF provider, but I don't think property 
necessarily has a place for certain people and obviously it's become harder and harder. So I think that's mm. been one that I've started to feel Australians started to look beyond just property as an investment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you pick, you definitely picked two divisive ones, mate. So <laughs> um, that's, that's good. That's what, that's what this question is designed to get out. And um, I, I, I say that as a property owner as well, which is really hard. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I should listen to myself maybe. Yeah. Uh, but no, that's great. So we've talked a lot about, you know, the US market and how to get involved. Um, obviously, the launch of um, M100 is really exciting for GlobalX. So I wish you all the best with, my, with that, mate. And good. I, I love to see this type of uh, ETF available for our uh, community. So thanks for taking this uh, this call on short notice and uh, jumping on the podcast and, and talking with me, mate. Uh, thank you, Owen, for having me. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. We hope you learned something new and were able to take one thing away from this episode. If you're keen to learn more, head on over to Rask Education and take one of our free money and investing courses. You could even become a Rask Core member for less than your Netflix subscription each month. And don't forget to subscribe for new episodes in your inbox every week. Plus, if you enjoyed the show, we'd love you to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and send any questions our way via the link in the description. And before we go on, did this podcast contain personal financial advice just for me? Absolutely not, Kate. Our podcast actually contains general financial information only. What that means is the information does not take into account your financial needs, goals, objectives, or even your situation. So because of that, it's important that you consider if the information is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on it. If that all sounds a bit confusing or you're still working out what your needs are, it's a great idea to consult a licensed and trusted financial planner. And don't forget to do your own research. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.